You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to the Morning Startup, where we believe you can develop neural pathways that will awaken you to a full heart and clear mind. Live with joy, health, and success. I'm your host, Michael Oliver, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Deborah Dyack and Maria Gosher. Hello. Good morning. Hi. Well, here's to a joy-filled 2020. <laughs> the new year. Anyway, I thought I'd start us off today um, by sharing a story about a conversation that I overheard the other night while I was out to dinner. Um, so a friend and I were out to dinner, and we were sitting next to a couple that were actually quite loud. So as you know... Um, sometimes one could say that's eavesdropping, but we were, I wasn't trying to listen to her. She was rather loud. <laughs> um, and she's talking to her dinner partner and she says to her dinner partner, so what new year's resolutions have you made? And he says none in a rather forceful voice. And then she followed up with quite quickly. Well, I made quite a few. And then she went on listing quite loudly all the things that she was going to do differently in the new year. And she was really excited about it. And so she's reviewing on what hadn't worked and what she wanted to do and now what she's going to do. And then she paused for a minute and she looked at him and she said, so why don't you make them? And he said, I don't make them because I never follow through on any of them. And after he made that comment, I, it, it got me thinking about the whole resolutions thing and what goes on in the new year and people making New Year's resolutions. And so I thought I, it developed a question for me, and I wanted to ask the both of you what you thought about it. And I'll start with you, Maria. I, do, you, do you think that most people – now we're talking about the end of the, at the end of the year here, at the beginning of the, the new year – that most people take time to reflect – develop resolutions based on self-reflection and planning? Or do you think most people self-project what they hope will happen? What, what, do you, mm. what, what do you think? For me, I think from what I observe, most people project hope. Um, like a status symbol, like, oh, yeah, I do that. And then people think that they're really awesome for doing that. So, so do you think they, they – do you think that – so do you think they're – quote, resolution is based on something that they that they hope will happen. So they're projecting what they hope will happen. Yes. Mm-hmm. But do you th- – or yes. do you think they self-reflect like, well, let me self-reflect. And I'm talking about most people because I know there's yeah. people that do that. But oh, w- what, what do you right. – With the self-reflection, I think most people know what they need to do yeah. truthfully. Okay. I don't think mm-hmm. it's a big surprise if you're – overweight, you know you're overweight. You don't need anyone to tell you. You know that if you smoke, you shouldn't smoke. Mm -hmm. But I think it's based on, obviously, habits that we develop. And there's a lot of good intentions behind our desire to change. But as we know, the road to heaven is or hell is (laughs) paved with good intentions. Mm -hmm. And, And you need to have the will behind your word. And so it's hard. Which leads me, um, there's a great poem that kind of captures this, what we're talking about. And in its simplicity, there is just great wisdom 
And many of you probably are familiar with this poem. It's by Portia Nelson. Uh, There's a hole in my sidewalk. And it's powerful, and I'd like to share it. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes me a long time to get out. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see that it's there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. I walk down another street. So this poem, to me, is so powerful in the fact that I think all of us regarding resolutions or changes that we want in our life or things that are not good for us, we knowingly walk into a hole, but some of us have don't have awareness initially. We don't understand what we're doing wrong. We don't understand why it's a big deal, um, maybe to change habits. So we go forward, we move forward, and we fall into that hole. Again, when we are aware, okay, I need to, let's just use weight because I think that's a common New Year's resolution. I need to lose weight. So I'm going to eat good foods. I'm going to have more salad. But now I'm at a friend's house or I'm going out to dinner and there really isn't the food that I need or want. So I'm going to order what I want anyway. So you fall into that hole again and eventually you become aware that you're falling into the hole, but you don't have the will or you don't, you don't care because you don't see it. You don't take ownership of it yet. Then when your life isn't changing the way you want it to as you walk or continue down your path, you realize you really do have to make a change and it has to come from within. Um, and then you realize that you do have control over your own habits, you make the change and you realize you can change and go down a different path. So I love this poem. Does that resonate with either of you? Oh, I love this poem. It gives me chills because like I, I you know, I'm in each one of these kind of stanzas. It varies all the time. It's not like I'm always at the last stanza where I walk around the hole, but I'd love to be there mm-hmm. all the time. But I'm in each one at different stages of my life. And I like that you use the word stages because I think change is a process. Mm -hmm. Um, I I know that what Michael has said in previous um, talks is that they're incremental steps, baby steps, that I think a lot of people give up on resolutions because Mm -hmm. they expect instant gratification. They don't realize that it takes consistent focus and effort. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. That's what um, stood out to me in that conversation that I overheard was this listing that that Mm -hmm. stood out to me. It was, I mean, I, 
I know for myself, um, just changing the way that I personally chose to approach my diet and, and not diet in terms of a short thing, but a lifestyle diet, just that one thing, not to mention all the other things that I'd like to do differently in my life to help strengthen my outcomes. That one thing was so time consuming. And I'm listening to her talk about this list of things. And I'm thinking, my God, <laughs> how are you going to ever accomplish that? Number one, do you have a plan to do it? And what worked for you and what didn't? And all those things going through my mind. And I'm thinking at the end of the year, it's going to be a disappointment for her. I can almost predict that just based on what we know in terms of, Deb, what you're talking about, building habits and how much that takes. And even we talk about small achievable experiences. Mm -hmm. We write that in our one-liner and how important that is. And we talk about waking up, which I think is the self-awareness piece. Absolutely. Yeah. I think what you're saying is is so important that um, mistakes are necessary. And so to think that, oh, it didn't work, so I'm done with it, that diet didn't work, I'm, I'm over. It's important to understand that mistakes are a critical learning tool. Um, when you think, I'm, I guess you can help me out, who are some people that you can think of who are very famous and have made mistakes. Uh, let's see, Michael well, Jordan, for one. Mm-hmm. He made thousands, missed thousands of baskets before he became a pro in Rowling. And if you have any Edison others you'd like to share. Edison failed 900 sometimes for the light bulb. I and mean, these are mm-hmm. real common ones. Babe Ruth of the, I don't know what year he played baseball. But mm-hmm. anyway, he's struck out more than he hit home runs. And, They're common, yeah. but I think it's yeah. important for people to know that just because you wake up the next day and your life isn't changed, it is changing with the self-awareness and the baby steps are incrementally, it will change over a span of time. But I think we're so used to instant gratification in our society. Um, but I think it's important. One of the things with food, because food is a common denominator, Michael, you read a lot about nutrition. Could you share why sometimes people fail on their journeys initially in in trying to lose weight? Yeah, I you know, that's such an interesting I think that's in, on one level that's an easy question with a really complicated path because there's so much that gets tied into um and Marie, I'm going to pitch to you too mm-hmm. uh, to kind of do a handoff between the both of us because of your marketing background mm-hmm. and and how you understand that whole process. But that bliss point. So the bliss yeah. point. Um, so you have people in the business. Um, so food is a business, and you have people that have the the companies that um, General Mills and the other food companies that are very large have labs, and they hire scientists and they hire psychologists. Um, and so, for example, in, in the book Sugar, Salt, and Fat by Michael Moss, he talks about the bliss point in which scientists have gone into the lab and they studied human brain and they studied endorphins and they studied what triggers these good feeling hormones. And then they figured out what is the perfect combination of salt, sugar, and fat, and fat that triggers this release of endorphins and gives you that such good feeling and they call it the bliss point. And then they took that formula and embedded it into their processed foods. So when you as a consumer taste whatever it is that they did that with, whether it was a cereal or whether it was candy or whatever it was, 
you're not going to just have it one time because you want that feeling of bliss that you – in fact, and I think some of the candy companies call – I think there's a chocolate called Bliss, actually. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking of you too, Maria, when – you know, because of how marketing is positioning itself, um, you know, back to your original question – what are the challenges? I think it's one, we have that internal challenge with ourselves, but you have the external challenge, right? With your, mm-hmm. with, with the marketers, where they place, where you, you were talking at one point, I think, right? About where they place things in a food aisle, for example. Yeah. Like that. Marketing is definitely tricky and, and you have to really be educated to identify what they're doing most of the time. So, cereal is a really good example. Um, so if you look at the sugary cereals, they're always located in the middle of the shelf. So you got the top of the shelf, bottom of the shelf, but the middle is the prime real estate. That's the expensive spot where people that make those products, they pay big bucks to get in that location. And so when the parents are walking down the aisle and their kids are in the cart and they're like having a good old time, the kids are like, oh my gosh, mom, dad, I want Fruit Loops. I want you know, Lucky Charms and this cereal and that, and they're going to have a tantrum in the store and the parents are like, oh man, I don't want to be seen with a kid that screams because <laughs> they want this. I'll just go ahead and buy mm-hmm. it for you. And that's like where mm-hmm. it starts. Um, kids are very influential. They don't know any better, right. um, but it's a decision, you know, to buy that or not to buy that. Um, if you look at um, like the term low fat, that was a big thing that happened like Oreo that was um that was made in like 1912 I think and there was a point where people were trying to get healthy and so they put the word low fat in front of everything and um but you didn't it wasn't really a defined term and I think you talked about this Michael in the past the the term organic mm-hmm. you only have to meet like a certain it's, percent yes Correct for yeah. it to be able to be labeled that, mm-hmm. and so they got on the bandwagon with yeah. with people that were looking to lower the fat in their diet. Yep. Um, the challenges mm-hmm. are 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 many. For me personally, was those it was understanding the marketing challenge. I mean, mm-hmm. I looked at that, and it was really important because I need to understand how I'm being influenced. Yeah. Um, Deb, you talk about the idea about control, right? Self control versus external control. Right. And. So while I have that opportunity to control myself, I do am being influenced. And and so when something says organic on it, is it really – I have to really look at the labels. And if it's mm-hmm. something I don't understand because of the chemical language or the structure of the language, yeah, that's it's, another thing. it's another flag <laughs> for me. It's like do I have to look up what thiosodium bicarbonate is because I don't? Mm-hmm. And so what does it mean when it gets to my body? Mm-hmm. I I agree, and I think there's a belief um, regarding food anyway because there are many other toxic things in our life. But regarding food, we have this idea that eating the foods that cause us the most pain are comfort foods. Mm -hmm. We call them comfort food. And Michael, I think you said earlier about nourishing. We need to think about nourishing our body instead of nourishing the emotions. Mm -hmm. And I love that saying because I think – that hit home for me when you shared that. It's exactly right that we don't feel good after we eat it. So we're back in the hole. Mm-hmm. And and little by little, we realize 
okay, I do realize what's causing me pain. I've got to get out of the hole. Now, many people can choose to stay in the hole, that's for sure, and and, and give up. Um, and if I could segue into relationships that are toxic, and, and it's, it's, I guess, similar to food, but I was working with a young woman last week who was telling me that she was with a young man, and he had caused her so much pain, and every time they got back together, the same thing would happen over and over again. He was abusive. Um, he drank. He he was very abusive. And I I told her a little story, and uh, I I hope it it stuck, but it seemed to resonate with her. And I think this could be analogous to any addiction, but. There was um, this story starts out. There's a poisonous scorpion, and wanted he wanted to get to the other side of the river. So he asked a beaver, "Can I ride on your back to the other side?" And the beaver said, "Absolutely not. You'll sting me." And the scorpion said, "Oh no, 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 no! I need you. I need you, and and I value you because I may need to have a ride back at some point. I will give you whatever you want. I'm very wealthy." And I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. And the beaver thought, well, he's a very humble scorpion. Okay, sure, I'll give you a ride. So they had a wonderful conversation across the river. Everything was going great. And when they got to the other side, the scorpion immediately stung the beaver. And the beaver, as he's dying, said, why did you sting me? And the scorpion said, because you knew I was scorpion. That's what I do and that's who I am. So in our lives, I think we have to reflect when we begin this self-reflection that the only person that we have control over change in our lives is ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And how do you feel about that? I mean... Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's a... I mean, it's a great story and I think it draws a a strong parallel that... um, we it's easy to get caught up into blaming other things for where we're at in our life. Um, and I had this conversation not too long ago with a friend about some things that were happening at work and my comment. And so just as a, an example, there was an individual at work who was saying things like, you know, at this time of year, I always suffer a loss. And oh, by the way, um, you know, it, it's uh, it, it, I didn't, I didn't sleep very well. So I, I won't be, you know, taking care of my responsibilities as, as much as I'd like to and excuse after excuse mm-hmm. after excuse. And what, and so I was telling my friend, like, you can't control that kind of language, but that language is being used to manipulate you because that person is going to call you and say, Hey, can you help me with this? Because I had a loss or because, and who's going to touch that? Mm-hmm. It's like someone says, you know, I'm very ill. And it's it's a devastating illness, so who's going to argue? But sometimes those things can be used as manipulations. I mean, it it, it can – you know, there's a lot involved here when we're talking about mm-hmm. change and when we're talking about, you know, we're starting a new year and we want to do things differently. But, Deb, to your point earlier about habits, habits don't change because of a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going from December 31st to January 1st. Things aren't going to change the next week. I don't right. – People don't get that or they or if they 
I don't know if they do get it. They still want to make the resolutions because they think there's going to be some magic thing that's going to happen in, in, mm-hmm. in, in the month of January that's going to make a difference when they were doing things previous to that for, for longer than a year or more than a year. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right in terms of we can only change what we can control. But I think we th- that's the self-reflection part. And I know, Maria, you're really big yeah. into this piece about thinking about what I can control, what happens outside myself, what I don't have control on, how does that influence me. But when you're doing your work, Maria, because I know you're huge on planning and I know that you really do a lot of self-reflection and thinking about do you find yourself looking at all those different components or are you just focusing on just what's happening with you? Or are you looking at those external influences that may be pushing on you as well? Yeah, I try to look at the whole picture. Um, so uh, speaking on that, I was curious and I just pulled up the definition of resolution. And it's defined as a firm decision to do or not to do something. A firm decision. So a decision is only the first step. You have to commit to that decision. You have to take action. And I think a lot of people say, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to do this. They made a decision, but they often don't commit to it. And so they lose their resolutions and and everyone falls out of that. Well, there's a difference between wishing and focusing on, on change. You can wish for a change, but if you don't have a plan and if you don't focus. And I think habits boil down to will and breath those are two key components to making a change in in one's life and it's just amazing when you find yourself in a weak moment learning breathing techniques really really makes a difference that you'll find yourself stronger and not focused on the weak areas of your life and again going back to food because that's common to everyone or smoking any any addiction that you can breathe your way through it to where you're no longer thinking about the negative aspect and you can find that it'll help you get out of the hole and the next time you do that you are inclined to do something that you know is not good for you you take a different path so i really like so, the way you frame that deborah i it th- that's really well done because one of what precedes the behavior is the thought so what I hear you saying and kind of fill, you know, fill in this gap for me if it exists, but what I hear you saying is that, you know, these consumption of thoughts, whether that's, you know, we talked about diet or whether it's an addiction or it doesn't even have to be an addiction. It's something that's compulsive, for example, something that we do over and over again begins with thinking about it and then building on that thought process to where then you have an action. But what I hear you saying that if you take the pause, so this is for our listening audience, is a technique that they could use. Right, right. Right. So they would take a pause, and now you're talking about the breath. So can you just expand on that a little bit? So now I take the pause, and what, what how, like the breathing part now, what do I just like take a, a breath in, breath out, and it's done? Or do I take mm-hmm. five breaths? Do I, I mean, how does, how, how does that work for me to break that cycle of, of compulsive thinking? Knowing breathing techniques allows you to calm your mind and it allows you to overcome emotions. And that's the whole reason we usually want to eat 
is we're frustrated for whatever reason. You get into bad habits for whatever reason, but it gives you time to think clearly by taking a deep breath. And and some of the techniques are more than just breathing in and out, although that is helpful as well. But for example, a very good technique is to breathe in to the count of five, hold to the count of five, and exhale so that your monkey mind is focused on your breathing instead of the bad habit. You're focusing on inner work. And and when you do the work, you will find that you are released from the desire. You no longer want it as badly. So if you keep breathing, the breathing techniques do um, make a huge difference in in how we react in our life. The breath goes hand in hand with will. Willpower is something that people think you either have or you don't. And truthfully, willpower is like a fine-toned body. It requires a lot of exercise and consistency and to practice, but you'll get there. It does It does work. You and I were talking about we both had lost weight because we uh, got onto a good path of eating, and it didn't happen overnight, although it felt like it did. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the holes things. Conversely, you can get into a bad habit where all of a sudden you find yourself in a hole and it's like, how did I get here? And you don't, you don't, you have no awareness of, of that it was your fault and a cause of bad habits. But that awareness allows you to take control. Mm-hmm. Is that why they say like when you're stressed out, uh, they'll say, okay, calm down, take a deep breath. Absolutely. You're really talking about breath. Absolutely. That when pe- little children, for example, when they get hurt, they're freaked out. They're focusing totally on the pain and, and the um, being frightened by being hurt. Mm-hmm. And the breathing takes your mind away from that pain. Mm-hmm. You're focusing now on the breathing, just like uh, women giving birth. What is that called? I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of the breathing. I'm trying to had think. a few kids. I'll let you know. <laughs> but and, and my mind is gone. No, blank. it's no, a very famous breathing technique Lamaze? that they Lamaze, yeah. that they teach women. Right, me right. that when I was and and the reason is that the focus mm-hmm. is on the breathing and it does it does get you through a lot. So um, I'm just going to say it's a great tool to learn and mindation. We do a lot with breathing techniques, sharing it with um, with people, and it, it does – and the reason we do is because it does make a difference. We know that it will give you that internal ability to take control of your emotions and take control of your will, which in the end, it clears your mind. And You know what I like about the other piece of this is – you know that we didn't, um, and it, there'll be a whole nother opportunity for us to talk about this. We only have a few minutes left, and we're going to wind down a bit. But in order to have those successful outcomes that we talk about, that we spent quite a bit of time talking about today, is the the part that we could spend a lot more time on, and that we will, is the neural pathways. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about building those neural pathways mm-hmm. in, in order to achieve that clarity in mind and having a full heart. But the the neural pathways, I think, is, is an, an important piece in this self-regulation and self-work that we do. There's something that's happening cognitively as well. What 
I thank you for that just triggered a, a really good analogy developing the neural pathways to good habits and to sustaining resolution. It's analogous to walking through a field that you want to get to the ocean and there's a field in front of you. The first couple of times you walk through, you're going to have to push through a lot of weeds and it's not going to be easy. So you could make a choice to give up. This is too hard to walk through these weeds and go back. Or Every day, little by little, you're going to find that you've worn a path straight to the ocean. So little by little, it's going to become easier and easier for you to um, sustain your good habits. Mm -hmm. But it's not easy at first. But mm -hmm. creating these neural pathways makes it... It's like creating the path, right? Exactly. Clearing the path, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that analogy. Yeah, we're all breathing. That's that's. <laughs> we're just taking a pause. Yeah, you know, the silence you hear is we just all looked at each other just now because you can't see us, and we're just like, okay, well, let's let's do a couple, uh, let's do some breathing here. But um, so yeah, I like. I think this was really valuable. Thank you for for sharing that. Um, I think the the I, I like this idea of doing the doing some poems. I like to do more of those or some mm -hmm. readings. Mm -hmm. I think that it really provides a nice framework. I, these struggles that we talk about, I, I think a lot of people have them and I think they're stuck with, you know, you're influenced a lot by what you, either what you read or what you see. But I think to your point, Deborah, um, and Maria, you express this as well, the idea that it really comes back to self. And the only way that we can really understand how to get through something is really to understand ourselves and what barriers are our struggles are are we're having and as just as we close up i just want to reference one thing to you maria and, and i know that you're really big on planning mm -hmm. but journaling writing mm -hmm. just as we kind of kind of wrap this down deborah gave a really nice um like breathing technique you know five mm -hmm. in hold for five five out can you just Maybe for our listening mm -hmm. audience, just kind of because we were we've been talking about self reflection today, but I think mm -hmm. journaling is another. And we do that in meditation too, in a course that we teach about journaling. But could you just share a little bit about how you do that and, and the benefit it's had for you, and then we'll we'll kind of wrap it up for the day. Yeah, I think uh, journaling is a good habit to get into because it it is a slow process and it allows you to reflect, kind of like reading these poems here. It's a different avenue of reflecting and. You just start by just writing. Don't, um, you know, put blocks on yourself and, and think about something but not write it because you think that's not good to write. Just just write. Don't and worry about grammar and Don't worry about that stuff. Yeah. Just free write. And also don't make it uh, put a block on yourself by saying I have to write 500 words. I have to fill this entire page. If you only write a sentence, then you just – you did it. You know, just small steps. There's no rules that say it has to be formed this way. You just do what feels good to you. And uh, that's what I would recommend. And then to use it and go back and use it as a way to make change. Yes. And you will see the change over time if you mm -hmm. keep the journal. So I like that. So what you're both talking about is – so right away there's two things that people can do. One, they can incorporate this short breathing exercise – and just start journaling. And it doesn't have to be a whole page. It could be a right. sentence. But by the action itself is stimulating a neural growth, mm -hmm. walking through the field toward the ocean. 
to where they can begin to to build that pathway mm-hmm. uh, right. to success. Yeah. And just for anyone as we're closing, if, if you do, I encourage you to get a copy of this poem if you are in the process of making change. It's by Portia Nelson again, and I know it's a very famous poem, so many of you probably have it, but it's called There's a Hole in My Sidewalk. What I love about this poem is it starts out, it seems very bleak, but it actually ends full of hope. Mm -hmm. It's saying that no matter what hole you end up in, that with will, taking ownership, and through self-reflection, you can make positive change. So I encourage you to make a copy of this poem. Yeah, Mm -hmm. thanks. Well, thank you so much. Uh, It was really a lot of fun, and we'll... uh, We'll look forward to to the next uh, podcast. We'll continue our our conversation. So thank you for joining us where we believe that you can develop neural pathways that will awaken you to a full heart and clear mind, live with joy, health, and success. We'll look forward to (laughs) talking to you. We'll look forward to sharing with you next time. That's a wrap.